Let's hear the words of Psalm 46. To the choir master of the sons of Korah, according to Alamoth, a song. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Well, you get a knock on the door and two police are standing outside. Uh, one of them introduces himself and he sounds distressed. And once you hear what he has to say, your life will never be the same again. You visit the doctor to get the results of a test and your doctor sounds a little more low key than usual. He sits you down and he just tells you like it is and your worst fears are now a reality. Your child comes home from school one day looking dejected. You probe a little bit and you find that the whole class, they've had the whole class berating them about their Christian faith. And you begin to wonder, maybe they're going to throw it all away. You're in the middle of a pandemic and there's no real end in sight. You've been fighting the disillusionment, but now by the sixth lockdown, you're starting to feel that it's taking a toll. See, life can be very hard sometimes, and eventually all of us are going to go through some tragedy or hear the results of a test or face some great loss or heartache uh, or suffering. And it even looks like it's going to be harder to be a Christian in this country in the future. And so how do we, how do we not fall apart when it feels like life itself is falling apart? Well, Psalm 46 tells us, because this psalm, it's a song, it's a song we need to sing, and it's for those who feel like their world is crashing in around them. It's for those who feel under extreme pressure, uh, for those who are distressed by their circumstances, or by their culture, or by the world and the divisions and the wars, the troubles, and even the troubles in your own life. It's for those who are distressed. But Psalm 46 shows us where to turn when everything feels like it's crashing in around us. Now, there are three parts to this psalm, which you can see very clearly in the way that it's laid out uh, in your Bible. And so we'll look at this psalm under three headings. So the first we, we see here, a sure help in the midst of chaos, a sure help in the midst of chaos. And so that's in verses one to three. It begins with a statement of faith. 
Verse 1, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. So God is our refuge. What does that mean? Well, a refuge is a safe place that you can go to when you face trouble. See, I go camping a lot uh, in the high country, and in the high country, there, there are all these cattlemen huts, um, well, ones that haven't yet been burnt down, uh, but they are shelters that you can go to if you're caught out in really bad weather and you can stay in them. Uh, they've even stashed some emergency food in there. That's a refuge, a refuge in a storm. Uh, if you worked in a, a huge underground mine, uh, in mines these days they have uh, specially placed emergency refuge chambers uh, in case some disaster happens deep underground. So say the entrance collapses or something like that, that the miners can run to these shelters and they can stay in there, there's oxygen, food, all this, their needs, and they can wait in there until they are rescued. They're, that's a refuge, somewhere to run for safety. And this psalm says that God is our refuge. Uh, he is the one that we run to in trouble. And the same idea is actually seen in the refrain, but it uses a different word in the refrain, in verse 7 and verse 11. And there it's the word fortress. See, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And uh, this is actually the psalm where Martin Luther got um, all his ideas for that famous song, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. It all comes from this psalm. But back when this psalm was written, the safest place that you could go to, you know, the most secure refuge was a fortress. You know, fortress had these big, strong walls, a uh, massive solid gate. In fact, back then, some refuge, uh, some fortresses were so secure that the only way an invading army could get the people out was to starve them out. And that could last up to a year, maybe even longer, depending on how much food and water uh, the people inside had. But that's how secure a fortress was. If you're in there, you were safe. Uh, perhaps if this psalm was written today, it would say, that the God of Jacob is our nuclear bunker. See, it's a place of unrivaled safety. And this psalm is saying that God, God alone, is the safe place in the midst of chaos. He's the one that we can run to when trouble strikes. So he's our refuge, but it also says he's our strength. And that means that he gives you the ability or the, the strength to cope in the midst of chaos. Uh, he's also a very present help in trouble. That means that you can always find him. He's like a faithful friend. You can always find him when you need him. And he's absolutely reliable. He is a sure help in the midst of chaos. And so if you have God as your fortress, what will that mean for you? Verse 2, Therefore we will not fear. We will not fear even though what? Though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea. See, what we have here is a picture of the worst possible catastrophe that you can imagine. Uh, we actually use this kind of language when we're in real trouble. Uh, when, when we say, you know, it feels like my world is falling apart. But this is saying that even if that should happen, even if you go through the worst tragedy, the worst disaster you can imagine, even then, we will not fear. Why? Because God is with us. The Lord Almighty is with us. 
Now, what is the worst thing that you can imagine going through in life? What is it that you fear the most? Maybe it's losing your health, uh, going through cancer. Uh, maybe it's freedoms being taken away. Uh, parents often live with the fear of something really bad happening to their children. Or perhaps you fear losing your job or fear losing your spouse or perhaps losing your mind. Now, these kinds of devastating losses, uh, they can actually turn your world upside down overnight. And then, of course, what about death? Surely death is the fear behind most other fears. Um, but this is actually what verse 2 is talking about. With the earth giving away, it's like, the, what is the worst thing you can imagine going through? What is your greatest fear? And this is saying that even if that should happen to you, even if the worst thing should happen, we will not fear. Why? Because God is with us. I wonder if, can you affirm that? Is, is that something you can actually say? Like truly say, I will not fear because God is with me. This psalm says that if God is your refuge, if he's the safe place that you run to, if he's your fortress, if he's your very present help in trouble, then you don't have to fear. Instead, you trust. Trust replaces fear. Now, let me just ask those of you who don't have God as your refuge, what have you got? What have you got when disaster strikes? Uh, what's going to keep you when everything around you falls apart? What's going to keep you when you fall apart? Uh, when you face death, what, what is there for you? Uh, will your money help you? Your spouse? Your hobby? Uh, your, your job? Your um, savings? I mean, how will those things help you on the day that you actually lose them? So in a disaster, what would you rather be in? A pop-up tent or a nuclear bunker? And that's how we need to see the forms of safety that we run to in replacement of God. Uh, God is the only sure help. Uh, he's the only one that you can turn to when, the, when your world really falls apart because he's more powerful than anything else, even death itself. See, God is a very present help in trouble. And the question is, have you turned to him for help? Have you cried out to him? Do you pray when disaster strikes? Have you asked for his strength? See, God, he is the sure help in the midst of chaos. Well, the second thing we see here uh, in verses four to seven is a secure city in the midst of chaos, a secure city. Now, the reason this city in verses four to seven is secure is because God is in it. And moreover, it's actually God's city. See verse five, God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. In fact, according to this psalm, the city of God is the only thing that is secure in the entire universe. It's the only thing that cannot be moved. It's the only thing that cannot fall. And you can see that. Notice there's a little play on words in this psalm. So in verse 2, it says the mountains are moved into the heart of the sea. And then in verse 6, it says the kingdoms totter. Now that word totter, it's actually the same word in Hebrew as moved. Uh, it's the same word in verse 2, verse 6, and here in verse 5. And so what we have here, you know, think big, powerful mountains, uh, 
big powerful kingdoms these are the big things in the world these are the things of power stability uh, mountains represent stability kingdoms represent power and compared to that the kingdom of god or the, the city of god can look very small and insignificant and yet the mountains fall into the heart of the sea the kingdoms fall but what about the city of god it, do, it can't be moved verse 5 says it shall not be moved and so this is the only thing in the whole universe that cannot be moved the only thing that's indestructible the city of god because god is in her and he is the god who is sovereign over the earth over the mountains he's the god who's sovereign over all of the kingdoms and this is god's city verse 6 says the nations rage the kingdoms totter he utters his voice the earth melts what power and so the only place of real security the only place of real stability is the city of god this secure city now when the psalm was written uh, the readers would have naturally thought about um, jerusalem uh, especially if they uh, lived there or zion as many of the other psalms call it uh, zion is just a poetic word for um, jerusalem um, but jerusalem or zion that that was where god dwelled uh, which was uh, represented by the temple and yet when we read about the city of god in this psalm we can actually see very clearly that there's a sense in which uh, jerusalem that city in the middle east that was only a shadow of something far greater yet to come and you can see that hinted at at least two ways in this psalm so one of the hints that there's more to jerusalem here uh, well there's more to this city than just jerusalem is this river in verse 4 there is a river whose streams make glad the city of god now that's very surprising because um, can any of you name the river that flows through jerusalem there isn't one <laughs> jerusalem was built on top of a hill and so for water they actually relied on springs which were found outside of the city walls um, they had to actually dig some tunnels uh, to get some water uh, during a siege with hezekiah um, so there was no river in jerusalem and so by talking about this river whose streams make glad the city of god it must be talking it's not a literal river it actually stands for something uh, it's a picture of the life and the joy that comes um, from belonging to god and the bible often talks about water like this you know it talks about the river of life or streams of living water uh, they're just pictures of, of, of being connected spiritually um, to God. Now, the other hint uh, that the city pictured here is pointing beyond Jerusalem is the fact that this city is indestructible. You know, mountains, they fall, kingdoms fall, but the city cannot fall. And uh, now if we were to go from this point in the Old Testament and follow the storyline of the city of Jerusalem, was jerusalem indestructible no not at all uh, because after a prolonged rejection of the lord by the israelites uh, lasted many years under many kings and eventually god said that's enough and he handed his people over to judgment under the babylonians and so in 586 bc the babylonian army attacked jerusalem and absolutely decimated it 
smashed everything down, destroyed the temple, the walls, the, the whole city was completely destroyed. The, the so-called indestructible city was leveled. But what did that mean? Did that mean God had failed? Not at all. Because God kept his promise regarding the city uh, through the prophets, even at that time, even before the destruction of Jerusalem, even afterwards, he sent his prophets who came along and spoke of another city, a greater city, a city that would endure forever, a city that was heavenly, a city that was truly indestructible, an eternal city. That's actually one of the main themes of Isaiah. If you follow through Isaiah, you see it's a tale of two cities contrasting the earthly city with the heavenly city that endures forever. But when you look at all of that and you look at this psalm, it actually means that what this psalm is talking about must have been something beyond the literal bricks and mortar of Jerusalem. So what is it speaking about then? What is this secure city in Psalm 46? Well, we're actually going to get into this a lot more over the next few weeks. But in the New Testament, uh, we're told that everything that this city points to, everything that this, this city stands for, is all experienced in Christ Jesus, through faith in Christ. Uh, the New Testament tells us that the moment you put your faith in Christ, your citizenship is changed. You know, you're no longer a citizen of this world. You no longer belong to the kingdom of this world but you are transferred, you are made a citizen of the city of God. Uh, Philippians 2.20 is a good example of this, where it says, Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. So this secure city is a picture of the security that we have in Christ. And through faith in him, uh, we are saved from everything that is wrong with this world. We are saved from sin. We're saved from death. Through faith in Christ, we're saved from the raging of the world, the flesh and the devil. And so that means that Jesus is the only place in this entire universe that is truly unshakable, where there is true security. And so this city is a picture of salvation in Christ. And it's a salvation that will ultimately be experienced in what Revelation 21 and 22 says is the new Jerusalem, the new heavens and the new earth. Uh, it's the eternal city of God. That's, that's what salvation in Christ will ultimately be, to belong to the eternal city of God. Now, I don't normally set homework um, from sermons, but today, if you would like, uh, open your Bible and compare... Uh, Revelation 21 and 22, compare the city that's described there with this one described in Psalm 46, and you'll see that they're exactly the same. It's the same city. And so here we have in Psalm 46 a picture of the eternal security that is ours in Christ. It's of Christ's people that you can say, God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. Of Christ's people you can say, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. And what is that river? Well, Jesus told us in John 6, 38. He says, whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now he said this about the spirit. So here's a picture of Christ's people indwelled by the Holy Spirit. 
the river of gladness. And it's, it's the Spirit himself who is God dwelling, indwelling us, God in our midst. Uh, the Spirit is the one who unites us to Christ so that we have his salvation, so that we have that river of joy, that river of gladness. Uh, this is the gladness that we can have even when everything around us is falling apart. Even when we are falling apart, we still have this eternal joy of knowing that we are safe in Christ forever. Uh, outwardly, we are wasting away, but inwardly we are being renewed day by day. See, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. I wonder, do you know that gladness? Have you ever experienced this joy even while everything around you is, is raging and, and collapsing? Do you know what it is to have the gladness of salvation even in the midst of a storm? See, it's in Jesus that we have this assurance. As verse 7 sums it all up, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. See, Christ's people are the secure city. So in Christ, we have a sure help. Okay, God is our helper. We, ha we are a secure city. We're safe forever. And that leads to the third thing that we see in this psalm, that we have a certain future. A certain future. Uh, that's what this last section, verses 8 to 11, are all about. So let's read that. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. So here's the assurance that everything will ultimately be okay. In the end, it will all be well. See all the raging, all the chaos, all the fighting, all the wars, the division, even death. It will all be gone in the end because God will triumph. And this is the one thing that no one else can do. You know, no kingdom can do this. No political party, no scientist, no uh, world organization. No one can make the wars cease to the ends of the earth. No one else can end all the raging. But God will. God can and he will. And all those who belong to his city, to those who belong to his son, we will share in this triumph forever. And so if you're in Christ, you have a sure help, you are a secure city, and you have a certain future. And with these three realities, this sure help, secure city, certain future, if you have these three things in Christ, then that means you have all you need to face the worst without fear. You have what you need. In Christ, we have what we need to face the worst without becoming bitter or cynical or disillusioned. We have what we need in Christ. But the question is, how do you practice it though? How, does, uh, how do these, these realities that we have in Jesus, how do they actually change the way that we respond when, when disaster does strike or when, when it feels like life is falling apart? How does this make a difference? How can we face these things without fear? How can we do it so that fear and anxiety are actually overshadowed 
by trust and even gladness. We'll have a look again at these last few verses. Uh, you'll notice there that there are three commands that call us to do something. See, we're not just told about our security in Christ here. We're actually now commanded that because we have this security, to do three things that will make that a reality. Uh, we need to do three things that will make what's true actually experienced in our lives. And so the first command is this in verse 8, Behold, come behold the works of the Lord. See, that's a command, a command to behold. Behold means to look at something. Take a look at this. Have a good look, a good hard look. And it's saying, behold the works of the Lord. And so that it's actually telling us that we need to intentionally take out time to do this all the time, all, every day, and have a good hard look or a good hard think about what God has done, what God is doing, and what God will do to fix everything that's wrong in the world. Think long and hard enough about it until you begin to feel that assurance that God, yes, He is my mighty fortress. In fact, memorizing and even reciting this psalm is one very good way of doing that, of beholding the works of the Lord. Uh, you can do that with any part of Scripture because that's what Scripture is. It's the works of the Lord told to us. The second command is be still. Be still. Now, be still doesn't mean have a time of quiet reflection. That's probably more related to um, beholding. Um, the, the Hebrew word behind be still actually means something more like stop raging. It's actually a rebuke. Uh, it's the same thing that Jesus said to the raging storm. Remember when he and his disciples were in that boat and it was about to sink and the disciples were terrified and Jesus gets up and he rebukes the storm. But what does he say? Quiet, be still. See, there it is. Be still. It's a rebuke. Now, in the context of verse 10, be still is, is a command primarily to those who are raging against God. And it's a call from God to recognize that he's not going to tolerate uh, human rebellion forever. He is coming to judge. He's coming to end all raging. And so be still means stop raging against God. And some of you listening need to really pay attention to that because you haven't stopped raging against God. Uh, some of you listening are still living in rebellion. You're still living as if, as if God didn't matter, as if you could live your life however you pleased and it doesn't matter. You're still living as if you were God. You still haven't submitted to the Lord Jesus. And so this is saying that God is actually coming back to judge the earth. One day he will lift his voice and the earth will melt. There will be a final day when God will say to all of the earth, be still. But on that day, it will be too late. See, right now, through the cross of Jesus, God has made a way for you to be still now, to stop rebelling now and to put your faith in Jesus. Embrace his cross, his death for you that reconciles you to God. And so, so be still. What does that mean? It means repent and believe. Put your trust in Jesus because he is the only refuge that will keep you safe on the day of judgment, the day when the earth does melt. 
But this command to be still, it's not only to unbelievers, it's also to believers. Because, look, it's one thing to know God is with us. It's one thing to know that in the end we'll be safe. But when trouble strikes, what tends to happen? We go into meltdown. You know, we forget that the Lord Almighty is with us. Uh, we're like the Israelites at the Red Sea. Remember that? Remember um, God had rescued them from Egypt through that mighty deliverance. Uh, they'd, they'd seen him act. They knew he was their savior. But when they got to the Red Sea and they were trapped between the Red Sea and the Egyptian army closing in behind them, what did they do? They did exactly what we do. They panicked. Uh, they went into meltdown just like us. You know, we get anxious. We, we um, can't sleep. We fear. We grumble. We complain. Uh, we, we can't cope. What is all that? It's the raging. We're raging again. And so do you know what we need to do? When that happens, we need to do this. Be still. Be still. Stop raging. That's exactly what Moses said to the Israelites on that day. He said, you only need to be still and wait on God. Watch God fix it. You know, there's so many things in life that we can't fix. Uh, so many things that wouldn't matter how much we stressed or how much we did, we can't fix it. But what God says here is you only need to be still and watch me fix it. Now, third, the third command. So behold, be still. The third one is no. Be still and know that I am God. Now, what does that imply? That implies that we are not God, that we are not in control. We're not all knowing and all powerful and ever present, but God is. And so we can trust him. And not only that, he's the God who is committed to us, his people. Uh, see, what's the last phrase in this psalm? The God of Jacob is our fortress. What does the God of Jacob mean? It means the God who is committed to flawed people. Think about Jacob. See, this is, he's a God of grace. And he calls you to trust him, to behold him, to be still before him. To know that he is God. See, the road to Zion is marked with suffering. Uh, but in Christ, you have the assurance that he is always with you. God will never leave you or forsake you. He really is a present help in trouble. And so do not fear. Instead, behold him. Be still and know that he is your God. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Amen.